Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of One Night in Miami. Ready for tonight? I'm as ready as a person can be. After the fight, we're all coming back here for the champs victory party. Don't be late. Minister Malcolm X. Good news, the chariot is coming. You know I'm the greatest. That's right. Jim Brown takes the ball. Your record is going to stand the test of time. How's everybody feeling tonight? All together, yeah. <laughs> New heavyweight champion of the world. Say, hey, champ, you don't suppose you could sign an autograph? Yeah, of course, man. Give him an autograph, Jim. Action, Mr. Cook. <laughs> oh, sure thing, brother. Don't you think it's about time to party? Tonight is a chance for us to reflect. You mean no one else is coming? Well, this is off to a hopping start. You all are a bright and shining future. You need to understand what is at stake here. Everything's not so black and white like you make it out to be. But we are fighting for our lives. You know I know what's going on out there, right? Listen, listen, brothers and sisters, listen, listen, listen. Miami, the champ! I swear we'll never find a way to where we're going all alone. The goal is for us to really be free. We want a world. We're safe to be ourselves. I told him. I told him. To think like we want. Speak now. Without having to answer to anybody forward. Speak now. We have to be there for each other. Who's the greatest? You brothers could move mountains without lifting a finger. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for One Night in Miami, and the story is as follows. One Night in Miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gather discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 1960s. The film is starring Kingsley Benadire, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr. It is directed by Regina King and written by Kemp Powers. Here to join me for this podcast review, I have Amanda Spears. I want the recipe. <laughs> Dan Baer. God is great. Yes, he is. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Sarah Clements. <laughs> hello. And Ryan Z. Showers. Hey, everybody. All right, so One Night in Miami, movie that debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival. It is Regina King's directorial debut. You might know Regina King from various things over the years. So to say that this was a pretty big premiere along the festival circuit this year uh, was definitely, definitely not an overstatement. There was a lot of anticipation for this. It's also based off a pretty uh, acclaimed play as well. And it had built some considerable buzz due to the talent involved, uh, the four main principal actors especially. And since then, it has been getting a lot of critical support from everybody and is now currently in the Oscar conversation. So now that it is available on Amazon Prime, everybody now has a chance to check it out. So we're going to start off first with Amanda Spears. What do you think of One Night in Miami? such a great adaptation. It was so nice to see someone take a play and really adapt it. It didn't feel like a play. Great. Awesome. Uh, let's hear next from Ryan. Ryan, what do you think? So Regina King directed, um, I've seen some of her um, directorial efforts before this. Um, she directed a couple episodes of Scandal, which were very well done, one of which is my favorite of the series. 
Um, so I was really excited to see her tackle a, fee, uh, a movie like this, a, a story like this. And I think she does uh, a really solid job. And uh, um, the movie is just, you know, it's beautiful to look at. It's perfectly cast. Um, and it has uh, the discussions that the characters have are um, really substantive and um, really great. I, I really enjoyed the film a lot. Okay. All right. Let's hear next from Josh Parm. So for anybody that didn't get to see my top 10 list um, for the films of 2020, which I think you would be forgiven because I believe my list dropped the day of the insurrection on the Capitol. So there was some other stuff (laughs) going on that day. You might have missed my top 10. But if you didn't see it, this movie was on there. I think it's one of the best films of the year. I absolutely love this material itself. The writing is so incredibly strong. These conversations are so intriguing. And I just love the commentary that's being brought up about the black community and the black experience in America and the responsibilities of that community. Every single role is perfectly cast, as was already said. Every one of these performances, I just absolutely love. And I think that Regina King does a really good job directing this movie as well. I know that for some people, there might be this inclination that it does feel very stagey, but I think that there's great instincts in her direction to really apply some cinematic um, kind of um, flair to the material when it's necessary, but also knowing when you just sort of have to step back and listen to what's going on. And I think it's an amazing job. And overall, I think it is truly one of the best films of the year. All right. Okay. Moving over next to Sarah Clements. I really loved this film. It has one of my favorite ensembles and it's one of my favorite adapted screenplays of the year. It's just so electrifying, compelling, hard hitting and um, celebratory. It's clear both Regina and Campowers love these four men so much, and it's one that celebrates that. But also, it's interesting to see all their differing perspectives just get laid on the table to create some really engrossing conversation about race and what it means to be a black celebrity and brotherhood to the point where you never want the film to end. You could listen to them talk endlessly. Um, And that's all due to just how good and entertaining this cast is. And everyone brings their A-game. And Sam Cooke is my favorite singer of all time. So it was so nice to see him portrayed on screen. But also his portrayal also leads to some of my criticisms, which I can discuss later. But overall, I think this is an essential piece of cinema. And Regina King is the king. (laughs) There you go. Dan Baer. Um, So the... Level of difficulty of making for your directorial debut a play like this, which takes place in one location and has just four people and trying to make, you know, a cinematic is so high. And Regina King clears that bar so easily that I'm kind of in awe. Um, Granted, she has amazing help from of course Ken Powers's brilliant screenplay adaptation of his play and the the casting everyone in this movie even the people outside the central four are just fantastic uh the cinematography is pretty great the editing is sharp uh the score by Terrence Blanchard is really really good um and just <laughs> everything about this is so well done. And I'm so impressed with the unshowy but strong directorial hand that Regina King has shown with this film. There are so many little grace notes of strong directorial choices sprinkled throughout that I just love. Um, I This was one of the best films I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival this year, and I hadn't seen it since until last night, and watching it again was just... I'm not going to say it was revelatory, but it was definitely like, this is just as good as I remembered. I was so happy that it held up on a second viewing. So when I saw it at the Toronto International Film Festival, I thought it was a really strong directorial debut. I was one of those people who felt that 
it was maybe a bit too stagey at times. I mean, I'll get into that in a little bit as to why I think that. Uh, but overall, I was positive on the movie, but I wasn't enthusiastic. I've seen the movie two more times since then, most recently right before we hopped on for this podcast here. And I have to admit, uh, to Dan's point, the direction is so unshowy and really moves out of the way to allow Ken Powers' screenplay and the performances to really shine through in a way that I think is this film's greatest asset because it really engages you uh, conversationally into what these four really incredible icons are all talking about with their distinct viewpoints. You really, really get a strong sense of character and story here set against the backdrop of one of the most tumultuous times in American history and how that plays into what we're still going through today. It's undeniably very powerful. So at the time, I was a little underwhelmed, I think, by maybe some of the lack of directorial choices that Regina King was making. I thought it was good, just not it didn't blow me away. But I now see, you know, after subsequent viewings, how strong of a movie it really, really is. And I agree, it's one of the best films of the year. Yeah, I mean, I understand that there is this criticism you can lay at the movie, which is that it does seem like the direction is a little stiff and that it is stagey. But I do think the asset of it is it the direction really understands that you're sort of here to listen to these four men talk. And I think that it presents these conversations in a way that still feels very engaging to, engaging to me. Yes, it doesn't always feel like there's a lot of you know, the camera's not moving a lot and there's not this very over direction happening, but it feels very natural within the moment. And it feels like it is really setting you down and just listening in. And I think that's a great asset that the movie has. I was so impressed with the way that she introduces the four characters. Like yes. I, thought, I thought her direction, even in those, in the first 20 minutes, like for however stagey the, um, like the second like hour of the film is, uh, the, the way that Regina King introduces these characters is really full of life. And like I said, um, it's shot so beautifully. Um, I I really admire the um, the level of confidence she brought to um, just her overall vision here. Not to mention in terms of confidence, having your title card 17 minutes into the movie. I, I always find that that is always such a strong show of confidence from a director. And I, I agree, Ryan. I think that just speaks to how how confident her direction is throughout this movie. That whole pre-title sequence is just so fantastic. Um, this time when I saw it, when it got to the title card, I like wanted to stand up and applaud. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is such a perfect introduction to each of these characters, but also to the world. And when I say the world, I mean, you know, the world of America at this time, but also the world that each of these people are living in. I mean, even though they're all living in the same time and have similar um, experiences being a very famous African-American person they are in very different parts of that world and it really does a good job of setting up their perspectives as this goes forward yeah in terms of Ken powers screenplay like just as far as like brief character introductions are concerned um i actually think that this section of the movie is very very crucial and it is so well done to the point that when they when they get to the room at first, that's where I feel like the movie does start to slow down just a bit. But I think that um, that's kind of important because, you know, all of a sudden the movie doesn't feel as dynamic and alive because we're just stuck in this room. But as the tensions start to mount and the dialogue becomes more accusatory, fiery and passionate uh, with everyone just kind of you know, voicing their opinions on how they feel about their place within the civil rights movement, it starts to ratchet back up again. So that's like another thing that like on my first viewing, I remember thinking, oh, man, this opening is so good. And then it slowed down so much. I was like, oh, movie's kind of losing me. But I, I actually see the importance of that now, like I said, on subsequent viewings in terms of just pacing. Well, and she really achieves, I think, a very specific feeling of the time period. In the introduction, 
um, that then carries over into the big scene in the hotel room. Um, and like she creates a very specific vibe. Um, and it's like, you know, to the untrained eye, like, that stuff may just seem so natural, but I can tell Regina King put a lot of effort into making us making this feel like a very specific moment in time. What did you guys, how'd you guys feel about like once they're in the room, uh, the moments where then they get out of the room, like go to the roof or, um, I think Sam Cook and, uh, Cassius go to like a store at one point. Like, what do you guys think of like their attempts to get in and out of the room? I was impressed by how quickly actually they exited the room. <laughs> um, it's not very long but after they enter that we actually go to the roof. Um, or uh, I think, no, he goes out. Uh, uh, Malcolm X goes out to the phone booth first to get his camera. That's And that's the first time we exit the room. I, I was I was impressed by that, but also how like all these things they felt natural. It didn't feel like there was a conscious attempt to open up the play. Um, every time that they stepped out of the room, it felt like a natural extension of what the characters were feeling in that moment, and that they really needed to step outside. Amanda, in your opening thoughts, you were talking about like this is the way to do a play adaptation. I know you were on for our Ma Rainey uh, discussion, and I know that you had um, some reservations about how that play was ad- uh, adapted. So what was it about One Night in Miami's adaptation that worked for you more here? It felt like, you know, they were conscious of the fact that it couldn't just take place in this room. Mm-hmm. So staging things on the roof, staging a phone call between Malcolm X and, and his wife, having that where they go out like it would naturally happen that way it made it feel like they realized that yeah. they needed to adapt this better and I think the opening sequence helps with that too and the ending also really helped that it didn't just end with them leaving the room yeah I think that that ending especially and how um, you know the characters are now out of the room and we see them back in the wide open world again and there's I, I actually think that the bookends of this movie uh, complement each other quite well in terms of everything that we're talking about here with Regina King's uh, powerful storytelling and direction. I will admit, I will admit, and Dan, you and I talked about this at TIFF. There were some times where the conversations got so intense in the room between the characters that I remember just watching it and thinking, why, 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 why are they still there? Like, why haven't they like, like, that's the kind of like, it was like the kind of conversation where if like, if somebody was like accusing me and like, you know, getting all bent out of shape about my place within, you know, this moment in history, the way that, you know, Malcolm X is with like Sam Cooke, I would have just like walked out of there and I wouldn't have come back, but they keep coming in and out and coming back. And I'm like, what's keeping them there? (laughs) You know? I, I I kind of agree. I had the same thoughts like at, at points like because the conversation was so heated and like I would have dipped like a lot sooner into the into the evening if I were one of the characters. Um, and but I have to say I kind of disagree. I think um, uh, it's weird. My, in Miami uh, one night in Miami. It's like like you guys said. I think you guys accurately said it's very lively at the beginning and the end because of the action that's involved. Um, but I do think the middle is, um, it, it does feel very stagey, whereas um, comparing it to Ma Rainey, I felt like Ma Rainey was more cinematic throughout, and um, George C. Wolf um, had different opportunities to make it more cinematic than Regina King does, and that's no problem with her and her approach. I think it's just the nature of the beast. Mm. And even at the time, Matt, I remember strongly disagreeing with you. I know, I know. Um, I, I thought that it... it um, I thought that the rhythms felt very true to these characters, and I thought that when it was heated, they did leave the room. <laughs> but then I kept wondering, like, why are they coming back? Like, what? Like, what is it that they're? Yeah, um, that's the thing. Yeah, that, and, and I think I think that part of that is sort of the the is is something that's unspoken, which is that there really maybe isn't too many more places where they can go. I mean, going back to Matt's 
um, point about the conversation between Sam and Malcolm that kind of leads into my biggest criticism, which, I mean, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk about. Please. <laughs> um, so... I loved, you know, Leslie Odom, Leslie Odom Jr.'s portrayal of Sam, but I didn't like how, you know, Malcolm was sort of giving him shit about him being silent on um, what was going on. And sure, his music may have been pandering to white audiences, but like a change is going to come was already out at the time that this event was taking place. So and the film made it seem like he hadn't really done anything with it yet, which kind of threw me off. But at the same time, I think it's also important to note that why they did that, I think, is really um, just kind of talks about what everyone else has been talking about during the Black Lives Matter movement, which is sort of specifically the silence and like the bewildering, con like some black artists were condemning the movement, which was just you know, it's shocking and a lot of celebrities were silent. Like Jay-Z comes to mind for some reason. I don't know if he eventually said something about it, but I think it just makes a good point that, you know, you have to be using your voice like your voice is the most powerful tool you have in these, you know, times. And I think by kind of changing history in that way in terms of, you know, Sam's um, most famous song, I think they also, you know, created some really good um, discussion out of it. But yeah, that was sort of my criticism was just they kind of made Sam Cooke seem like he didn't give a shit, but he actually did. And, you know, he recorded that song, um, you know, a while ago. But yeah, that was my criticism. I think it's the same as some some celebrities who don't speak out at like political elections. Mm -hmm. That time of year where it's like they want to be seen for what they do professionally, not yeah. for their activism or their their personal beliefs and i think if and maybe you know it's just you know different views and so for that way reason i was like yeah i kind of understood where he was coming from and so that's the reason why the song they didn't you know say that that song was already out i kind of get the juxtaposition of it a little bit but yeah because there are celebrities who are like you know what i don't agree with this or i don't agree with that but they don't speak out because they want to be known primarily as whatever kind of artist they are and I, mm -hmm. I think that's I don't think that's wrong I think that's you know for one reason or another that's a that's their beliefs so for me I think that that kind of worked and frankly I think Malcolm threw like the lamest party ever no offense but I'm like you can't even buy some coca-cola you can't buy like you know you, you can't get some chocolate sauce for this ice cream like come on one of the best like uh laughs in the movie is when they're like where's the party Malcolm and then he's like I thought this would be a great chance for us to reflect and you just see everyone like deflated <laughs> so like it's just us four <laughs> like what yeah uh but but really quick going back to uh Malcolm and Sam I was left with the impression that we're not supposed to necessarily decide who is right or who is wrong in the way that Sam is utilizing his music for the cause. Um, I think we're supposed to hear both of their arguments and conclude that they're both right. Or do you think that the movie leans more one side over the other? Well, the movie specifically says, you know, that this is a time where, there's a lot of gray area, like nothing really is like this is the right way and this is the wrong way. And it's the nature of these conversations is that there's con especially between Sam Cooke and Malcolm X, there's these sparring matches between them. But at the root of it is trying to figure out what is the best thing that you can do for the black community in this moment in time that not only elevates you, but elevates everybody around you as well. And at the end of the day, it's not going to be an easy answer to that. And I think the movie really explores that in a very fascinating way that lets you hear everybody at the table. You know, the um, the discussions, they even they, they veer into the political. They are very um, gray. And I found them to be so, so interesting. Um, I have to say, um, I do I, I do find Malcolm X to be a frustrating character in this. I think he really goes after Sam Cooke. I just repeatedly and unrelentlessly. Um, and, you know, it does, uh, it, it created a lot of um, interesting 
it made me reflect on conversations people still have today about capitalism and money and how um, that intersects with race and um, political issues. Uh, in, in did anybody else feel that way? Oh, very absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I for love sure, how yeah. this conversation, you know, um, you know, imagined or real, no matter what it it really still resonates so strongly today. And they didn't even have to do a lot of work to make it that, that way. Like it, it, these are still things that we're talking about and we're talking about them in this way today. And I was so impressed with how well, I mean, there was not a single reference, even in dialogue to things that you could be like, oh, that's, you know, a bit on the nose considering where we are now. No, the the, the only on the nose reference, unintentionally so, was when somebody said uh, the organ grinders monkey. And I was like, Mank. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I feel like, you know, I think it made a good point that like once celebrities gain wealth and they feel you know protected by the in protected in their like gold palaces they sort of forget where they came from and like you shouldn't keep fighting for you know those people who you who are in the position that you used to be in you know what i mean totally i i definitely agree i also think that it is kind of interesting how the central conflict of this movie is so much between malcolm and sam that it almost does feel like at times that Jim Brown and Cassius kind of get tossed to the sidelines a little bit. I especially felt that way with Aldous Hodge, even though like I will argue that all four of them are giving really, really good performances. Um, I at times felt like Aldous Hodge maybe had the most difficult role of everyone because his was the most unflashy with, I think, maybe the least amount of dialogue out of all of them. So he had yes. a really, really tough task ahead of him in, you know, justifying his existence of being in that room, if I'm being completely honest at times, because everybody else has seemed like the screenplay was giving you so many more opportunities to, um, to really show off. But he also had like the funniest dialogue. Yes. <laughs> like that joke about the pork chop or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I was dying. And I would also say that he has the strongest introduction of the four. Oh my God. Those, yes. Like, those sequences. Like yes. that's the scene that hits the hardest for me. And while I think throughout the rest of the movie of the four, he is definitely the one that seems them the most subdued. I think that what still is present with that character is what you get at the very beginning, which is still this person who understands that no matter how much success you may have, there is still this other world that is going to look at you as an other and even will invite you over and talk to you and say how proud you are, but will still say you have to be put in place. And I think that just runs throughout all of his scenes. Like it's not really brought to the surface as much and he doesn't get as many fiery speeches, but I think from that introduction, you get that undercurrent throughout his entire performance and mixing in with just how charming he is. I still think it's a really great performance from him. I think all four performances um, in One Night in Miami are better than any performance in, say, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Um, I really respect each what each and every actor is doing here. They're all doing something different, and they're all coming full force with these characters. Um, I, I, you know, I have them all in my top ten for their respective categories, um, including Aldous Hodges, who um, I do feel like... I, 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 maybe I'm a little overwhelmed by him because I, he was so undersold by the initial reactions. I do think he has a lot of credibility here. He's really good. I think it's just the least showy role. Um, but I found his, especially he has the best reaction shots of anyone in the movie. I agree. And you know, the whole cast is on fire, but he, his moments are fewer and farther between than for everyone else. I, I was, so impressed with Eli Gorey, who yeah. I had never heard of before, like not on my radar at all. And he comes out swinging. He has all of that braggadocio and charisma that you have to have when you're playing, you know, at this point, Cassius Clay. Um, and wow. 
his oh. energy is just so infectious and he's yeah. so charming. Yep. Oh my God. I love and, him. And how he captures like that, the youthfulness yeah. of that character at this point. Like I did not realize how young he was when he rose to prominence like that. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. And he really manages to capture that sort of like he, he's an adult man who's able to think for himself, but he's still in many ways, very young. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's a fascinating performance the way he captures all the, you know, the contradictions of this man and, you know, his beliefs and what he's going through at that time is so good. Which is why the yeah. mentor father figure uh, that Malcolm stands in for as for, you know, Cassius is, I think, very, very important in, in terms of like what you're talking to, Dan, about this being a pivotal point in his life as, well, like a man. And I mean, I think that's also like a really, really great culmination as well in regards to Malcolm's tie to the Nation of Islam and how Cassius Clay does become Muhammad Ali by the end. That's that's a really nice Dura line in terms of a character arc and also bringing in um, Malcolm's very difficult relationship with the nation, especially during this time, because at this point in the movie, he's considering leaving. And it, it I got to say, I recently rewatched Malcolm X for our Patreon podcast. And it's it. Th- this is like a really, really incredible double feature to do mm. with Malcolm X. Um, and part of that is also because for as monumental as Denzel Washington's performance is in that film, it's one of the best performances ever given by any actor ever. Mm-hmm. It is a testament to Kingsley Benadire's talent that his portrayal of Malcolm X in this movie does not suffer by comparison to Denzel. Yeah, and <sighs> on that point, like I think that for for both um, Kingsley Benadire and Eli Gorey, they had really hard not not just roles to fill because mm-hmm. they're playing these, these iconic people, but you know, Denzel Washington is one of the most beloved black actors ever. So he's gonna be compared to that. And Eli Gorey is gonna have to go up against Will Smith playing Ollie. Mm-hmm. So both Oscar have, nominated performances. <laughs> yeah, both of those are gonna be a lot harder. Now, no offense to Jim Brown, I'm not a football person, so I'm like, uh, who is he? <laughs> like, it's, it's always hard in a film, and there's always somebody who's kind of like the Ringo, where they're like the third or fourth person. I mean, look at Mystic River. Kevin Bacon's great in that movie. He didn't get any attention for it. Sure. But it doesn't, you know, take away from his performance. They need someone who's a little bit calmer ahead. Yeah. But I do think that, like, Leslie Odom Jr. has kind of rises to the occasion in this. He's He, like, embodies... Sam Cooke and Sam Cooke is a they don't mention it but you know he died before Malcolm X Mm -hmm. so that's like that's an artist who could have a whole movie just on their life sure Leslie Odom Jr. gives my he gives my favorite performance in the film Um, I think you know uh, he has uh, he's not as inherently showy as Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali um, as Sam Cooke so I found it I found his opportunities to shine to be more interesting um, and he definitely stayed with me the most. Um, I, I just found him to be uh, the most unique of the, uh, of the performances here. I, I, I saw something in him that I hadn't necessarily seen in other interpretations of these characters, like Malcolm X, like Ali. So. And of the four, no offense to the other three, he has a very high profile coming into this because of Hamilton. Yeah, and I think that, like, in terms of just, like, matching his ability as a performer, as a singer to Sam Cooke, I mean, we already mentioned that all the roles here are perfectly cast, but if we're going along, um, you know, if we're going along here in terms of, like, favorites of the of the four, um, I have to say my personal favorite is Kingsley Benadire. Mine, too. Okay. A- anyone else, or? Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of like them all. I think they're just a flawless ensemble, but if I'm being forced to pick it's kingsley benadir yeah that's sort of where i'm at too like i love them all like it's almost like asking who's your favorite child like i i love (laughs) all of these performances and i think they're all great but if i am forced to pick one there is something about just how magnetic kingsley benadir is in this movie and we did Mm -hmm. mention how challenging it is that you have this other performance that a lot of people are going to compare it to and i think what he does is really give you the impression of 
or or the the essence of Malcolm X. Like it's not I wouldn't say a perfect imitation, but you understand the fiery nature of this character and his beliefs and how complicated those beliefs are. Like a lot of activism is. And I think of the four, it's the most like kind of difficult territory to traverse. And I just think that every moment that he is on screen is just uh, is just so brilliant. I, I am so fascinated with every single decision that he makes as a performer. And I think it's an amazing portrayal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, Sarah, who's your favorite? I'm also like everyone where I like, you know, I feel I, I love everyone equally. They do something, you know, they bring so much of also themselves to the character, but... You know, I think the portrayals were all incredibly well done. But if I have to choose, I mean, I'm going to have to go with my boy Leslie playing my boy Sam Cooke. So, (laughs) yeah. And also, I feel like he captured his voice so, so well. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm happy that they let him sing instead of, you know, doing like a... I mean, he can sing, but sometimes they do the, um, you know, like a voiceover or whatever you call it. Which I think is even more impressive when you consider yeah. that he had to modulate his voice to sound more like Sam. Mm-hmm. And it was he was so good. Mm-hmm. I'm to be honest, I'm surprised we're split fifty fifty um, between um, the two. I'm surprised that um, nobody said Eli, but I'm also um, beca- I'm also surprised because um, and we'll talk about this more later. But um, because of the way that the categories have gone, um, people have kind of acted like Leslie Odom Jr. is more of like a a weird coattail or not as deserving as uh, of a nomination for this film as Kingsley Benadire. Um, but he's going to maybe lock into a nomination because of the way that the, um, the category placement went down. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to see that there is such a, a wide variety of opinions here about the cast. Yeah. I mean, it just speaks to how great the cast is. I'm on the Odom Jr. front as far as best in show, but I do really love the ensemble i think as far as like putting one in lead it's it's going to be a little difficult for him yeah and we'll get and we'll get to that in just a bit here as well the uh final thing i do want to uh draw attention to comment on uh before we get to that is anything uh about the movie maybe from a technical aspect uh whether it's terrence blanchard's score or cinematography by tammy Riker. Um, is there anything that anybody wants to like comment on in regards to uh, technicals of this film? I want to give Regina King props because when she won that Golden Globe, she said she was going to go and and any movie she made, she was going to have a diverse cast and crew, and she kept her word. And I, I really do hope. I know it probably won't happen, but you know we don't see a lot of movies shot by women, so I would love to see this somehow sneak into cinematography. I would also want to shout out the editing to the movie. And I know for a lot of sequences, it may seem like there's nothing too flashy happening, but I think that's also a skill, especially when so much of your movie is built upon just conversations. You have to figure out ways to cut those sequences together to still keep them very engaging. And it's a skill that not a lot of people talk about. And I think it's put to great use here. And there are sequences a few in there that are kind of flashy, like the the chain gang song sequence, like that whole moment is so well put together. And I think the editing has a lot to do with it. Yeah, Tarek Anwar, who, who uh, famously did American Beauty. Mm-hmm. The 
decision to end the movie also with an original song uh, sung by Leslie Odom Jr., I think was also, uh, for obvious reasons, as we'll get to here in a second, um, a wise one. Uh, but it's kind of amazing that they end the movie with Change is Gonna Come and Leslie is giving an amazing soulful Ugh. performance while he delivers that song as it plays over so everything. Good. And there's also like this really melancholy uh, feeling, the sadness that hangs over the ending of One Night in Miami uh, because of how we know what happens to both Sam and Malcolm. So I, I think that the movie ends on this like incredibly, incredibly strong note. And then you have this knockout of this original song then that plays over the credits, Speak Now, once again provided by Leslie Odom Jr. And it once again just kind of speaks to what we were speaking about before, which is Regina King's direction of this is just incredibly strong. And she knows exactly how to both start her movie and make sure that her movie ends in the most impactful way. Because we all know <laughs> you can have a great beginning, a great middle, but if you don't wow them with the ending, then you've lost them completely. And I think this ending is definitely a stunner. Yeah, the ending, that that ending sequence is so good. Um, yeah. And like even starting, you know, that moment when they leave the hotel room, when um, uh, when uh, Cassius is standing at the door and asks Malcolm to come with him to speak to the press, that is such a moment. And then after that, going into Change is Gonna Come is and uh, his talk show appearance so strong. And of course, uh, Leslie kills it. That just seeing Malcolm X uh, with the head of the, the Black Muslims. I mean, if you haven't seen the Who Killed Malcolm X on Netflix, which is you know a great two-part documentary about how Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay at the time was a very hot property for the Muslim community to get, and so just seeing him standing there, you know, knowing that that betrayal of basically Malcolm X is kind of was what led to his downfall was really really sad. I was like, oh god. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, it's a really well done. I really loved it. It's all, it was just bittersweet. Yeah. And then, like I said, I think it's like the right note to end the movie on so that it has that kind of uh, emotional impact on people um, and, you know, creates that resonance. Then that leaves it as w one of uh, people's favorite films of the year. So with that said, if we're going to go with grades here um, or final thoughts, um, I'll just say for final thoughts really quick, uh, Michael Imperioli, I see you. You're not in this movie much, but I saw you. Yeah, if the cast <laughs> sucks, he will be a sad winner. Oh, really? He's included in there? Okay. Yeah. And so will um, Fall Breakers. Who is so perfect. Yeah. As we mentioned before in that uh, opening uh, Jim Brown introductory scene. Uh, other final thoughts that I have. I really, really like the scene where the young man wants an autograph from everyone in the room. And it's kind of one of those few moments where whether it really happened or not, uh, just having four legends like this together, just the <laughs> star power alone. I mean, even I watching actors play these roles, I, 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 I saw myself like in that young that young man who wanted that autograph of like being just so starstruck by everybody. <laughs> And it's, he's one of Malcolm X's bodyguards, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and also, too, speaking of which, uh, shout out once again to uh, Lance Reddick, who I, I see you. I saw you in this. You were in this movie. And I love it whenever you just randomly pop up and random stuff. <laughs> oh, yes. All right. Uh, so my grade after my final thoughts. Originally, I was a seven out of 10. Subsequent rewatches have boosted it up to an eight out of 10 for me. Amanda, final thoughts and grade for One Night in Miami. I think Regina King absolutely kept her word as far as diversity on and off screen. I thought it was a really well done movie. I loved, loved this cast. And uh, Odom Jr., this is the way to make your big mark in film. So I'm going to give it a high eight out of 10. All right. Okay. Sarah Clements. Oh, I just keep thinking about Leslie's last scene when he's singing A Change Is Gonna Come, and I'm just getting goosebumps all over again. Oh, I love Sam Cooke so much. Everyone, go listen to his music like right now. When you're done this podcast, go on Spotify, put in Sam Cooke. It'll change your life if you have not listened to his songs yet. 
Um, but yeah, my score is eight out of ten. Okay, Josh Parm. Oh man, I really feel like I just like scratched the surface about this movie, even though we've talked about already a lot of the stuff that I I do love. It just these conversations just really just so they fascinate me so much. I, I just feel like the dialogue in this movie is just so great. And it's so smart about how complicated these situations are and how there really is not a right or wrong answer to a lot of these things. And that's the role of activism a lot of the times. And I think that's a great asset of this movie. It's the thing that I keep coming back to. Uh, the only other small thing I just want to mention is there is a moment when they're on the roof, when they leave the, the hotel room and Sam Cooke mentions about how you can go to uh, certain places and don't need a green book. And I swear to you, it almost looked like for a second that Leslie Odom Jr. just stared right in the camera as if to say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <not> green book. <laughs> Shade. Oh, uh, it was great. But yeah, I, I really do love this movie. When I first saw it, I gave it an 8 out of 10, but I've now seen it four times, so there's a lot of stuff that's calling me back, and I actually feel like I have to bump that up now. I would go with a 9 out of 10 for this movie. Not to mention, Josh, why is this cast so damn pretty? Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, Matt. <laughs> Honestly, Truly. oh, man. I had to. All right, Ryan. Um, one thing that I don't think we talked about it enough is just how entertaining this movie is mm-hmm. like for it being uh um because sometimes uh play adapt uh, adaptions of plays can be um sometimes dry um i think this is so entertaining um throughout like she really keeps it watchable um which i think will help um more people see it and more people embrace it and love it and begin to think about um some of the things that just that is um discussed here um, I'm an eight out of ten. And Dan Bear, final thoughts. One of the best movies of the year. There's not much to say, but um, I I do. There's one moment um, where I thought they kind of went a little overboard on the. Like I said earlier, how I thought this was, you know, very mostly very subtle and well done in terms of the direction. There's one moment um, when. Uh, Malcolm X and Cassius start praying where I thought the music maybe got a little bit too uh, cliche, but that's literally the only problem that I had with this movie. Other than that, it, it really just is so, so strong. Um, so well performed, so well uh, cast, so well crafted on every level. And I love all of the performers. I think that it's a true, like either for lead or for supporting ensemble. I don't think there is one lead and saying that there is, is ridiculous. I agree. Great out of 10. My grade is an eight out of 10. It was eight at TIFF and it is still an eight. Okay, Oscar potential for One Night in Miami. Uh, This is, I think for a while now, this has been something where we've all kind of looked at it and we've had a lot of questions in regards to category placement, Regina King within the director race. Can this movie score anything below the line other than the original song, which uh, Speak Now by Leslie Odom is currently leading right now in predictions. So there's a lot of question marks, I think, with this movie. One thing I think is for sure, though, and I said this early uh, on, I know, to Dan back when we didn't know what the category placement was going to be. But I remember telling Dan, man, if they want to make Kingsley Benadire happen, the critics have to go for him and they have to go for him. Whether it's in lead or supporting, they have to go for him hard. And unfortunately for him, the critics are not giving him citations anywhere in the best actor category now that we know that he's currently lead and Leslie is supporting. Instead, Leslie is getting that support. He has that narrative from Hamilton. And I sadly think that Kingsley Bedadier is going to be left on the sidelines. However, a well-deserved double nomination for Leslie Odom Jr. for song and supporting actor, I think, are definitely on the horizon. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah, like I said, like there's <laughs> saying that I, if you have to pick a lead, I guess it's Malcolm X. So Kingsley Benadir. But like the second they did that, it they really screwed him over because lead actor is so stacked this year. 
and it's it really is a true ensemble film for the four of them. Well, see, I actually kind of I don't, I don't want to be like the naysayer, but I do actually I would put if the studio hadn't announced yet and we were just going in blindly. I would say um, Kingsley Benadir would be the lead and the other three are supporting. Um, I'd, I have to say I'm I have kept him in my best actor predictions um, despite all of the movement and all of the discussions we've had um, at length about um, best actor. But I have to say I'm I'm not as confident as I was before I saw the film in his chances of getting nominated. I think it would have been but, so much easier for this campaign to just label everybody supporting. And I think if that had happened, we would actually be talking about Kingsley Benadir being in a very good position to be nominated for supporting actor, maybe even win the thing, honestly. And I do feel like putting him in lead, I actually do think is the right decision. I kind of agree with you, Ryan, that as much as this is really a big ensemble, I do kind of feel like the character of Malcolm X is the one who initiates like this whole plot going. And I do think that does qualify him to be more of a lead than the other three. So in that regard, I think it is the correct call, but best actor right now is becoming a very difficult category to break into. And I wouldn't say it's impossible for him, but he's like one of three people right now that's fighting for a spot. And I just find it to be, it's going to be very difficult going forward for him. Amanda, you have talked before about uh, the possibility that Amazon might change their minds. Do you think that Kingsley Benadir's uh, lack of uh, presence in the best actor race amongst the critics could be the wake-up call that they need to do a last-minute switch? I think they should. Uh, whether it will work will be the question. The problem is, is that it's a very subdued performance compared to Leslie Odom Jr., who's, you know, frankly, in a purple suit and singing and playing guitar. It's, it's going to be hard for him regardless. Now, um, as far as, like, Oscar-nominated co-stars, only once in the Academy history did two films, you know, clog up one category, and that was 1949, when Celeste Holman, uh, Ella, or come to the stable and Ethel Barrymore and Ethel Waters were nominated for um, Pinky and surprise, they lost. So, um, you know, they would still have, he'd still have to get past all the guys from Chicago seven, you know, Daniel Kaluuya. There's a lot of people in that race looking to and supporting. So unfortunately I I think this is going to lead to his next role, which maybe will get him the nomination. I I think Ian, I think putting him in supporting is the right, right move to make, but I don't know if it would work at this point. Yeah, I think that um, any momentum that could be built in a new category at this point is futile, personally speaking. I wouldn't rule out, though, you know, let, let like, let's just play crystal ball here for a moment. Um, there is still, I think, a world where Kingsley Benadir s- surprises maybe at SAG or Golden Globe in the lead actor category. And I don't know, like, is anyone here still considering that possibility or is it just not happening in your eyes? I think it could happen. I I think, you know, there's only I could see a world where he knocks out Riz Ahmed, to be honest. Wow. I hate to say it, but I I really do. Yeah, I don't think so either, Ryan. But man, that would be something. Yeah. Well, the, the other problem that he's going to face, though, is that at SAG, he's going to be in lead, and at the Globes, he's supporting. Right. So even if he lands a nomination at, let's say he lands a nomination at both and kind of surprises, they're going to be in two different categories, and that's already going to cause confusion going forward. And it's so hard to to go against the placement that the studio has set for an actor especially if you're not established it's so hard to overcome that and i just still feel like best actor right now is really is starting to get really crowded i think for kingsley he needs to get he's british spoiler alert he needs to get into bafta i think honestly his best bet is he gets a bafta not he gets two bafta nominations and maybe they give him breakthrough performer i mean that that's a public vote so God only knows. That's going to be probably his best chance. It's like maybe he could sneak into SAG, but he really needs the flag waving to get him in 
at BAFTA. He more even more so than SAG. He needs a BAFTA nod. I, I think that uh, right now we're at a point where, much like the Trial of Chicago Seven, where there were all these possibilities, and it just feels like everyone has just been like, all right, you know what? Instead of like, you know, being all over the place and fighting over this, let's just all default to Sasha Baron Cohen, and we'll wipe our hands clean and move on. I do feel like this conversation is over. Personally, I, I I honestly believe this. I feel like most people have given up on Kingsley and they've just defaulted to Leslie and they're moving on. And Leslie does have a higher profile than the other three. So it, you can kind of understand why they're going to do that. And, you know, to use my crystal ball, Hamilton film musical is eligible at the Golden Globes. So he, like Sasha Baron Cohen, will probably go into the night double nominated. Well, you know, the one thing that I think we haven't, um, that we're maybe uh, not thinking about, is the fact that Malcolm X is like such a magnet, I feel like, for Academy members. Like, it's like such a baby per character. Um, I think that immediately gives him some advantage to still stay in the Oscar conversation for Best Actor. Like, name a character this year that's uh, that on paper uh, is as Beatty as Malcolm X. I mean, I don't disagree with you on that, Ryan. I don't. I think that's actually a good argument, which is why, you know, to the point of there being a surprise BAFTA nomination or something still to come, um, I haven't written it completely out yet. He's still in my 10 for Best Actor predictions, uh, but the road is just so much harder. And speaking of hard roads ahead for people, uh, Regina King in the Best Director race. I, I, I think collectively amongst all of us right now, we all have this movie predicted to get in for song, adapted screenplay, supporting actor for Leslie Odom Jr. and best picture. Regina King, I still think, is a huge wild card question mark within the director race. She's the kind of wild card that, like, if I had to pick nominations right now, I might go for it. For one reason and one thing only is she is a very charming woman. And if she gets the chance to charm her way into, like, a DGA nod, I, I could see how she could get into this. I mean, she was able to win an Oscar with two very big strikes against her. That's true. No SAG, no BAFTA. So she gets out. If she gets the chance to charm some people, glad hand a little bit, make a make a charming speech about the film. Yeah, I I do think she could bump. You know, somebody. I mean, I don't think she's like number three or four. I think she's definitely the fifth person in. Yeah, I think she could. You know, potentially charm her way over Spike Lee or someone else that's kind of like on the bubble. Especially because people like this movie. There is not really a divided conversation on this movie uh, by any means. And they means. like her. They like her. I think um, this is the type of directed uh, directed film I could see getting into DGA a lot easier than um, than the Oscar nomination because it's more of a straightforward narrative. Like I feel like the director's branch, they do go for um, a little more heightened, a little more artsy. And I do think that's kind of against her. Um, I, would, I would say that's the biggest thing against her. I, I think that there's a world where she gets into DGA, but then fails to get the Oscar nom. I think that she's definitely getting into DGA first time director. I think that is easily her best shot at a win. Uh, but I'm going to say this and I'm going to get a lot of shit for it. And I just want to preface that by saying this is not how I feel, but how given the evidence, I think the Academy feels, which is that the director's branch, they tend to do their one woman. And yeah. I think for all intents and purposes this year, that's Chloe jaw given the passion that Nomadland has inspired. Um, I, I think that they're both, uh, that the, both Nomadland and One Night in Miami are certainly comparable in terms of quality. And I don't think that I, like if forced to choose which one I prefer, I don't know that I could do it, but, um, I think that Nomadland has proven that it has more passionate supporters behind it in the race so far than One Night in Miami has. Although maybe that changes in the coming weeks now that One Night in Miami is more available to people. I don't know. But I think that she is 
And I always thought she has ever since Tiff, honestly, that she is a long shot for a director nomination. And I think that if this were a normal year and she could go to events and be her charming self, because like you said, um, Amanda, she is she is a very, very charming woman. I think that would help her more. But in this year when there are not in-person events, I don't know how that's how she she will fare on that level. Yeah, I was going to say exactly what Dan said. And it makes me so sad because I think she really deserves a spot. But at the same time, you know, the one woman thing and Nomad Lands getting more sort of awards um, in the critics groups, I guess. So, yeah, it's getting more push and stuff. So I feel like Chloe's definitely going to get in there. And the other issue, the other issue that uh, Regina King faces is. She's an actor, and we know that the director's branch has this weird thing about actors turned directors that they make them wait in line for a pretty long time, and it's especially even harder for somebody like Regina King for, unfortunately, obvious reasons. Yeah, they like it when men do it. (laughs) They didn't didn't mind it with, with, oh God, now I can't remember her name off the top of my head. I'm thinking of... um, Greta. 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 Yeah, I mean, they, they nominated two actors recently. Here's the big difference. The question is, is One Night in Miami a top five best picture contender? Uh, yeah. Which Lady Bird was, which Nomadland is. Mm-hmm. In a year of five, is One Night in Miami nominated for best picture? If the answer is yes, I think that that argument helps yeah, Regina think, King. Yeah. But if I'm being very honest with you all, I think it is number six. Yeah, well, I, I agree. I don't think you have it's to five. Ask yourself about your top five is how many of those are Netflix films? Because this is Amazon's big push. This is their big best picture push. So they have, yeah, they have Sound of Metal they have to worry about, but that's mostly Riz Ahmed and maybe supporting actor. But I think that, you know, I could see it being a top five contender because it's not a Netflix film. Mm. I do not think it's top five. Um, I I think it's great, but I think that in this year, top five is 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 questionable, and mostly because it is just kind of like it's it's solidly made. Um, but I can see a lot of people going, well, it was a great screenplay, or well, all the actors were good. But sort of going, you know, the direction was kind of there, even though I think that there's a lot about the direction that is, like I said earlier, like it's subtly but strongly deployed. Well, I mean, so I definitely think I, I'm not definitely I think it's in the top five. Um, what we have Trial of Chicago 7, Nomadland, um, Mank, Ma Rainey and One Night Miami. I think those are the top five. I wouldn't underestimate the five bloods. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I think See, that it's spot on as far as top five is concerned. So y'all are gonna y'all are gonna think I'm crazy, but I think number five is promising young woman because of the passion oh behind God. that movie. Well, this remains to be seen in regards to how the nomination tally kind of shakes out. But there's one thing to be you know to be sure, depending on how what nominations One Night in Miami does receive, if it receives anything outside of picture, supporting, song, and adapted. I do think a case could be made to say that it maybe was then the five, especially oh, yeah. if the director nomination, you know, comes through for Regina at that point. But otherwise, we'll need to see how the other nomination tallies kind of shake out um, to determine like what was truly like in the top five for this year. And maybe it will be as it is right now. Um, one of those ones where it's just barely squeaking in, maybe on the outside, maybe in who knows. But in the end, I think this is all short to say that. We would love to see Regina King get nominated for director, but it is by no means a sure thing. Well, you know, can I just say, too, I actually think if the if the middle hour of the film weren't so stationary um, in the hotel room, I actually think this is the type of film that would rock the preferential ballot. Um, I think it's the type of film that appeals to everybody. And um, there's not really an obvious strike against it. The obvious strike against it is it does feel a little stiff. When, you know, being so locked into one room, you know, the play-like structure. But, um, you know, if it was just a little bit less of that, it could be 
contending for best picture in the way that it's voted on now. I don't disagree with you on that, Ryan. I actually think you're 100% correct in that um, assessment. All right, so we're going to call it here for one night in Miami. Amanda, where can I find you on the internet? At Miss Amanda Spears on Twitter. Sarah Clements. At Mildred Spears on Twitter. Josh Parham. On Twitter at J.R. Parham. Dan Bear. Find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And Ryan C. Showers. You can find me on Twitter at RCS818. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of One Night in Miami here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate us five stars. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can let on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you can get exclusive podcast content from us, including the before-mentioned review uh, that we did for Malcolm X. Starring Denzel Washington, directed by Spike Lee. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.